On April 4th, 1979, at 8.25 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, TWA Flight 841 departed John F. Kennedy International Airport in New York City. After traveling nearly 540 miles, the flight attendants cleared the last remaining tray tables of their delectable foil-wrapped dinners. With their stomachs satisfied, the passengers settled back for the final leg of their flight to Minneapolis, Minnesota. The sardine can of a Boeing 727 was cruising at an altitude of 39,000 feet. Autopilot was on. Everything seemed routine, smooth, perfectly under control. But then suddenly, the airplane began to shake and veered sharply to the right and nosed downward into a barrel roll. Cabin fixtures shattered. Objects flew through the air. People screamed. The crew immediately disengaged the autopilot. And despite their very best efforts, the plane spiraled out of control, descending 34,000 feet in a mere 63 seconds. In a last-ditch, desperate effort, the pilots lowered the landing gear. And this proved to miraculously level out the plane mere seconds before impact. The plane had suffered severe structural damage, but the pilots had successfully regained control of the plane, and they guided it for an emergency landing in Detroit. Of the 89 people on board, there were zero fatalities. And only eight had reported minor injuries related to the high G-forces. Officials consider this plane's recovery something of a miracle, a miraculous recovery of control. And now I think about this story of TWA Flight 841, and I think about this genius, last-ditch effort of the pilots. And I think about this miraculous recovery of control. But I can't help but think of how terrifying this must have been. And yet, how similar and how familiar this out-of-control aircraft might be to our lives. How many of us are like that sophisticated sardine can of a machine speeding out of control? How many of us are nose-diving into a barrel roll out of control? The question is, is your life out of control? The better question might be, who is in control of your life? 
If you say, well, I am, I am in control of my life, thank you for your honesty, and I hope you learned an important lesson today. If you say, well, someone else is, someone else is in control of my life, my wife, my kids, my husband, my job, my boss, my addictions, they are in control of my life. Thank you for your honesty. I hope you learned an important lesson today. And if you say, well, God is, God is in control of my life. Thank you for your honesty. I hope you learn an important lesson today. Because today we continue the Together Sermon Series. You know, doing life together can be full of nitty-gritty difficulty and unbelievable hardship and deep pain. But doing life together in the community that God has created, it can be the greatest expression of love. And that's what this Together Sermon Series is all about. Over the course of this sermon series, we've explored how to do life together. We've talked about commitment. We've talked about hope. We've talked about patience. And today we continue by talking about how do we do self-control together. So if you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read from our memory verse today. Let's read from it together. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We stand here to revere the word of God. Let's read this together. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And now, before we pray, I want to remind us to to pray for those three specific things we've been doing over the course of this sermon series. You guys continue to pray for salvation, that people would experience salvation for the first time or that they would mature in their life of salvation. This group, Revelation, pray for the revealing of God's word, that his truth and his spirit would be made manifest here in this place and in our lives today, and transformation Pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds today. So God, we come before you today and we pray for salvation. We pray for revelation and we pray for transformation. Help us, Lord, to block out the noise. To quiet ourselves. so that we can hear from you, that we can receive from you your truth for our lives today. Because you are the king. You are the God who never fails, the God who never gives up. So open up our eyes to see where we have lost control in our lives, where we need to surrender to you today. Teach us today, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So what is self-control? How do we achieve self-control? Is it just mere willpower, brute force? Is self-control a solitary thing? How do we together, how do we together live out and achieve a life and a community where self-control is a reality that reflects the true love of the gospel. Well, in order to address these questions, 
I think it's smart to go to the heart of the gospel, to the heart of the good news, to Jesus Christ and his example of self-control. So if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then the Spirit led Jesus up into the wilderness. The Greek is eremos. It could mean wilderness or desert. So that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, that is, foregoing a physical need to focus on a more important spiritual need, so Jesus is not eating, but he's presumably drinking water, he was starving. So Jesus was hungry, if not hangry. You know what hangry is, right? It's when you're so hungry that you become angry. Hungry, angry, hangry. Now, this happens to me about three times a day before breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Anyone else? You get hangry. Like, I don't know why I act the way I do. I guess I'm just hungry. So Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's kind of strange. But what else is strange in this verse is how it actually begins. Then the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, led Jesus up into the wilderness or into the desert so that he might be tempted by the devil. Or other translations might read, to be tempted. What? Now this is strange. It seems like God is intentionally exposing Jesus to the temptation of the devil. Now why would God want Jesus to be tempted? Is this true? God wants Jesus to experience the temptation of the devil? I think yes. But let's unpack this a bit. The prayer goes, and lead us not into temptation, right? But let's take a look at this. The Greek word we see here translated in our passage as to tempt is perazo, which simply means to test. But it can be used in both a positive or negative sense. But scripture consistently teaches that God does not tempt anyone. That's what it says in James chapter 1, verse 13. However, God does allow people to experience testing or temptation from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil. So then, what is God doing here? Why might God be doing this, exposing Jesus to the temptation of the devil? What's his end game here? Well, it seems that God is trying to prove the character of Jesus by exposing him to Satan's test, and in doing so, Jesus proves to be victorious, victorious over Satan and obedient to God. So let's get into it. Let's check it out here. Verse 3 says, well, before we get in verse 3, we need to figure out, set the scene a little bit. Jesus is in an inhospitable place, a dangerous place, the wilderness, the desert. He's famished. And in this inhospitable place, in this dangerous place, Jesus is starving. He's physically vulnerable. Verse 3 says, in this physically vulnerable state, the tempter came to him and said, since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Now, the wilderness of Judea is littered with limestone rocks, 
that look strikingly similar to the loaves of bread and the rolls that the Jews would prepare and eat daily. And I'm sure after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting that these limestone loaves and these rock rolls, they must have looked absolutely tantalizing. I know I would have been licking my hungry lips. But this temptation here, it's not really about bread. And it's not really about hunger. It's more about dependence on God. You see, Satan does not question Jesus' sonship. He doesn't raise a question, well, Jesus, are you really the son of God? No, he knows that Jesus is the son of God. He says it himself, since you are God's son. That's not the question, but the question is, how will you operate as God's son? Will you operate with your God's son status to gratify your own desires? Will you use your status as God's son to maybe perform a miracle and turn this bread or turn these stones into bread so that you may be satisfied? Let's take a look at Satan's seduction here. Satan's seduction here is all about trying to seduce Jesus into using his God-given power and authority independently of his Father's will. You hungry, Jesus? Why wait? Grab a Snickers. But how does Jesus respond to this temptation? Jesus replied in verse 4, It is written, quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. Jesus shows self-control here by quoting Scripture and by saying no thanks to the tempter. In this way, he shows us that obedience to God is far more important, even more important than food. Let's continue with the temptation. In verses 5 and 6, it says, After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him at the highest point of the temple. Don't try this at home, all right? This highest point of the temple, it probably refers to the point on the southeastern uh, corner of the temple that directly looms over a drop of 450 feet into the Kidron Valley. So this is a crazy spot. Don't worry, I'm a pro at this. So He said to him, since you are God's son, throw yourself down. For it is written, I will command my angels concerning you, and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Well, looky here. Satan knows Scripture too. He quotes Scripture. He pieces together a quotation from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He knows Scripture too. What is Satan trying to do here? Satan's seduction number two is he is trying to get Jesus to test God's faithfulness and thereby violate Scripture. He's saying, come on, Jesus, throw yourself down. Won't God's angels catch you right here? Come on, just try it. Let's see. But what does Jesus do? Jesus replied, verse 7, Again, it's written, don't test the Lord your God, Deuteronomy 6, 
16, Jesus shows self-control here simply by quoting scripture and saying, no thanks to the devil. In this way, Jesus shows us that testing is not trusting. Testing is not trusting. If you are trying to force God to perform some spectacular act for your own desires, that's not the language of faith. That's the language of unbelief and impatience. Verse 8 says, Then the devil brought him to a very high mountain. Again, don't try this at home. A very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I'll give you all these if you bow down and worship me. So Jesus is here tempted by the devil to transfer his loyalty. Satan wants him to transfer his loyalty from God over to him. And he gives him a smoking deal here. Bow down and worship me, and guess what will happen? All the kingdoms of the world and all their glory will be yours. And isn't this what you're trying to do? Isn't this what you've been trying to do your, your entire existence here on earth, Jesus, to be the savior of the world? Here's a shortcut right here. Forget about the cross. Forget about all that unpleasant, uh, the unpleasant things that come along with it. Come to the dark side real quick. Satan's seduction here is trying to get Jesus to transfer his loyalty from God over to Satan. But how does Jesus respond? Jesus responded, go away, Satan, because it's written, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, you will worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and angels came and took care of him. Jesus shows self-control by quoting scripture and by saying, no thanks to the devil. Here he shows us in this display radical submission to God. Radical submission. Okay, but he's Jesus. I mean, we knew that from the start he was going to overwhelm and overpower the devil. We saw that one coming. He obeys, he trusts, he shows radical submission to God, but he's Jesus after all. The son of God, the preexistent, the sinless one. God incarnate. But the way that Jesus approaches the devil and the way in which he approaches the temptation is as any ordinary, normal human being could. By using scripture and by relying upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the, the Holy Spirit was the one who led him here in the first place in verse 1. It's not like the Holy Spirit took an Uber there and, and left. It wasn't like he was using Lyft or some taxi service. No, he's with him. And what does Jesus do? He uses scripture and he relies upon the power of the Holy Spirit to depend on God. Jesus does nothing here in this episode that we cannot do. He does nothing here that we ourselves cannot do. 
He uses scripture, the word of God, and relies upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this way, he opposes, overpowers, and overcomes temptation. You know, temptation is all about making God look bad. But in healthy response, in a self-controlled response to temptation, we actually make God look good. And we ourselves become faithful in the process. Well, how is this done? Like, how do we achieve this? How do we control ourselves when temptation comes? How do we control ourselves when temptation comes? First, we have to give up control. Give up control to God. Self-control is all about giving up control to God. If you refuse to give up control to God, you're like a sophisticated sardine can of a machine headed straight for impact. Jesus was not joking around when he talked about giving up control. When he talked about dying to yourself in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, he says, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, their pride, their selfish desires, maybe even their hopes and their dreams, their vice grip on control. They have to let go of it, say no to themselves, take up their cross and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. Paul wasn't joking either when he was talking about giving up control, when he was talking about dying to yourself. As he wrote to the churches of Galatia in chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me, and the life that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness of God's Son, who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we control ourselves when temptation comes? Give up control to God. Secondly, how do we control ourselves when temptation comes? We have to use Scripture. But in order to use Scripture, you have to know Scripture. And in order to know Scripture, you have to soak in it. You have to stew in it. You have to steep in it. And before you know it, sooner than later, it's going to seep out of your pores, into your life, into your language, and into your greatest challenges. If my sophisticated sardine can of a machine is headed straight for impact, I really have no use for Cosmo magazine. I mean, I have no use for it anyways, but I have no use for it. I don't really need three steps to a new you. I need a manual for life. I need words to steady and steer and bring hope and promise and truth and clarity. I need the word of God. You know what the psalmist in Psalm 119, 105 says about the word of God? Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I like what the common English Bible says at that last part right there. It's a light for my journey. I like that. I can see by the lamp of the word of God where I'm at. And I also see where I need to go. And what's amazing is that the word of God, it goes with us like a lamp to light our path. 
So how do we control ourselves when temptation comes? We've got to give up control completely to God. We have to use scripture. And thirdly, how do you control yourselves? Or how, do, how do I control myself when temptation comes? I've got to be tenacious. I've got to be tenacious. If my sardine can, sophisticated sardine can of a machine, is headed straight for impact, the easiest thing to do is to do nothing at all. But you know what? Doing nothing at all is doing something. It's giving up. It's giving in. When temptation comes and you choose to do nothing at all, you're choosing to do something. You're choosing to give up. You're choosing to give in. But don't give up. Don't give in. Because you have so much potential, so many talents, so much wisdom, such a future ahead of you, so many gifts. You have been intricately woven together with great purpose and great passion. So don't give up. Don't give in. Be tenacious. Tenacious like a moray eel. Moray eels are incredible creatures. They're known to bite and never let go. They actually have a second set of jaws which enable them to bite twice without letting go once. Now that is tenacious. They have a reputation for biting and never letting go, so much so that they won't release their grip, even in death. They have to be manually pried off of their victims. Now that's tenacious. Being tenacious, it means having self-control. Where you begin to realize the goodness of God but you also realize the lies of temptation. And you sink your teeth into this. You sink your teeth into the reality that God is good, and you don't let go of that because that's the truth. That's the clear, plain, obvious truth. God is good. Sink your teeth into that and also sink your teeth into the reality that temptation is a lie. But if you don't sink your teeth into that reality, that God is good, and the temptation is a lie, you're going to sink your teeth into anything and everything. Like a donut. I don't even like donuts. But you'll sink your teeth into a donut, a special type of donut, a doo-doo donut. Sugary, sweet, full of zero nutrients <laughs> and highly processed chemicals. It's a donut with just a little bit of doo-doo, just a little bit. But it smells oh, so good. And it looks so good. It feels so nice in my hand. And mm, 
Tastes so good. There's a little bit of doo-doo aftertaste. Yeah, a little bit of doo-doo aftertaste. I hate chocolate, by the way. So it does taste like doo-doo. And before you know it, you've consumed a dozen doo-doo donuts. And you finally come to your senses. You're like, why did I do that? I didn't just eat 12 donuts. I ate 12 donuts with doo-doo. I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to do this again. And then, well, maybe one more. One more. One more bite. And then we say, never again. Never, ever, ever, ever will I consume a doo-doo donut. But that's not self-control. Self-control is not just about renunciation. It's not just about saying no. Self-control is actually about saying yes. It's about saying yes to God. Yes, God, I want what you have for me. I want the life that you promise. And I want nothing less. When we say yes to God, to his plan, to his will, to his purpose, to his life, which is true life and true reality, when we say yes to God, we end up saying no to everything else, maybe without even realizing it. Because the life that I can live with God is so good, it's so pure, it's so wholesome, it's so healthy, it's so right, that why would I want anything less than what God has for me? Self-control is all about saying yes to God. And when we say yes to God, we give up complete control to God with every area of our life. All the closets that are filled of skeletons, all the places where we don't want people to see, we say here, God, everything I am, I'm saying yes to you. And I'm saying yes to be led by your scriptures, to be led by the gospel truth. I say yes to you, God, because I, in saying yes to you, will become tenacious. I will never let go because I'm constantly saying yes to you, yes to you, yes to you. So how do we together achieve a life and a community where self-control is a reality that reflects the true love of the gospel? Say yes to God. Say yes to God with everything and anything. I want you to close your eyes. And I want to just have a heart to heart. I just want to ask you some questions. As you think about your life, who's in control? Is your life out of control? Do you let the little things get at you? Are they irritating you? Are they driving you crazy? Are you participating in behaviors that are not good? Maybe you feel ashamed of them. Maybe you feel that if someone else was watching, you would feel very embarrassed. I 
Are the people around you suffering? And are they suffering because of what you're doing? And how you live in your life? Do people want to be around you? Do you feel like the circumstances of your life are too much for you? They're too much for you to control. And you just feel like, maybe I should just give up. Maybe I should just give in. Because I, I can't do it anymore. The situations are far too overwhelming for me to handle. My life is out of control. Well, God, I pray for the people in here today. I pray, Jesus, that we would surrender our control to you. That our lives are no longer ours. And maybe they haven't been ours for a long time because we've sold ourselves out to various addictions, to various people, to various hopes and dreams that you don't even have for us. Dreams that will leave us bankrupt and broken, hopeless. But Lord, we know that you have purchased us with a price, that you have saved us, you have redeemed us, that we are no longer ourselves, we do not belong to this world, we do not belong to the devil. We belong to you, Jesus. And I pray that you would teach us how to surrender more and more of who we are, our will, our intellect, our wisdom, our hopes, our dreams, our plans. We give them to you, Jesus, because we need to restart. We cannot control ourselves. We need you to light the path before us. And may we have the courage and the strength and the tenacity to follow you. So God, fill us up, we pray. Our hearts are open. Our lives are yours. Do with us what you will. May we follow you. Father, I pray for someone in here today who wants to experience your salvation for maybe the first time. If they would pray, Jesus, would you come into my heart? I believe that you died on the cross to deal with my sin, my guilt, my shame, all the stuff that is holding me back. I believe you died for it all and you rose again on the third day, defeating death once and for all. So come into my life. I give you control. I surrender it all before you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, Lead me where you want me to go. Father, we thank you and we praise you that we can have new life and a new hope because of you and your great love for us. That you don't leave us, that you don't forsake us, that you care for us. Even when we don't even care about ourselves, even when our lives are spinning out of control, we thank you, Lord, for loving us and calling us back to you. For you are our hope, our promise, our future. You are our salvation. So transform us today, we pray. 
Our hearts are open and we're ready to receive from you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.